have reached your destination. Welcome everybody to the Red Hot Chili Prepper podcast. This is episode number 34. I'm Suzanne Sherman. Jeff Johnson is joining me as always, co-host, producer, and amazing friend. We're going to be continuing a discussion on property rights. We had that topic as our uh, episode number 34. That will be up on Anchor FM later today. Thank you very much, Jeff, for all the editing work that you do and uploading. I really appreciate that. Talking about property rights and asking homesteaders in particular, uh, last episode, what political philosophy, what role of government should really resonate with them? Today, we're going to continue this discussion focusing on animals. We're going to just kind of clean up a few topics because I've gotten some questions sent to me with regards to property. But before I get rolling on that, we are broadcasting live on Farcebook on the page Suzanne Sherman's The Wasatch Report radio show. And this podcast page on the same platform is Red Hot Chili, C-H-I-L-L-Y. Prepper, if you're listening on Anchor right now, want to go check it out. We'd really love to have you give us a follow there, share what you see, and uh, help us fight our big tech shadow ban here. That would really help us out. If you're not listening live, you can find us on Anchor FM. Please, if you listen to the show here live, play that in the background. That's how we get monetized. We get paid every time we air their commercial. And then you can also hear how you can acquire the music from our providers, Roxanne. Solid album. They've got another one about to come out very soon. You can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month directly from Anchor, or you can donate from my website homepage, SuzanneCSherman.com. There I have published articles primarily discussing federalism, a lot of stuff from the 10th Amendment Center there, and the um, American Conservative, as well as the Abbeville Institute. I have a recent blog out where I share a lot of thoughts that have really been verboten uh, in the past year to discuss, and I just kind of put everything out there. And I really appreciate if you go there and give that a check. I just feel like the the cruelty of the past year that everybody had to undergo of, first of all, being locked down in their homes and then having their speech being censored, being deplatformed, having accounts uh, closed down all in the middle of trying to be able to use uh, social media to keep in touch with your friends. So I, I discussed that a little bit there. There's a suggested reading section there with some great books as well. And those are linked to Amazon uh, affiliate links. And so you can get some great books, not pay any extra. And that helps us out as well. Speaking of great books, I'm still getting questions. Is your book, The Lost Frontier Handbook, available in the printed copy? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Facebook, for hiding that fact. We post it all the time. But yes, the thelostfrontierhandbook.com will get you there. Learn the Ways of the Pioneers. It is your ultimate guide to self-reliance. A lot of people are sending me their copies and having me send them back signed. Really honored. Thank you, Michael. Uh, You just sent a generous donation. Your book will be going out as well. So, Jeff, yours should be there pretty soon. I sent it, uh, you know, being the being the tightwad that I am, like the the cheapest way possible. I think it's going out on the back of a mule. You and Andrew should get yours. Pony Pony Express. Pony Express. Yeah. Yeah, I'm from out west. So I have one piece of things to go back to from the last show. It was episode 10 that we did that uh, story about the lady that was hung in Wyoming. So, And I will tag it in episode 33 when I put it up. I'll put it in the description and it'll let you all know so it'll remind you. 
But if you wanted to go back and listen to that episode, it is episode 10. And, you know, go back and listen to them all. Just let them play in the background. And, again, every time that ad plays, uh, it is money going into a bank account that will help, you know, support the show. And, again, we keep it family-friendly. So it's safe for work. It's safe for kids. Don't worry about playing that. Uh, Gene is commenting here that they have people going door to door in Santa Clara County asking if they have been vaccinated. Good old Santa Clara County. You know, that's one of the things I mentioned in the in the blog I just wrote. And a friend of mine, I don't want to get too much into it, but folks, your ownership of your own body is absolutely crucial. And as homesteaders, you have to take this into consideration. This is inviolate because you could be forced to take something you wouldn't normally do. Uh, that might make you sick, might make you unable to work your property and do what you need to do. Nobody knows what long-term consequences of any of this are. So make a choice that works for you, that's right for you, but it's really nobody else's business. But uh, I think this a lot of this is going to happen. I had a friend of mine tell me about this and how it's affecting her job, but I'll save that for a different show. I want to just follow up also on a couple of the property, real property issues, real, I mean, real estate. We talked about property rights with land. And again, homesteading, self-reliance, animals are absolutely crucial. I mentioned the kennel license I was supposed to get if I had more than two dogs in an agricultural area outside of California. A friend just wrote me on Facebook. I got it this morning and it said, and he has some land out here in, in Utah. And he said, can the county assessor remove land from Greenbelt that has been part of the Greenbelt for 70, 70, 70 years. Now, this is going to significantly, um, and I would say adversely affect his property with regards to taxes. My answer to him, and I, I think, Jeff, you're going to agree, we've seen from the past year that whether or not they have the authority or the moral authority, they're going to do it anyway. They're going to do whatever they want. There was a place in California called Harvey Bear Ranch. And this was in San Martin in the community where I used to live. Gene, I know you know exactly where this is. We used to ride our horses up there and really enjoyed the property, really enjoyed hiking up there. It was absolutely beautiful. We took horses, like I said, mountain bikers. Everybody got to share the land. Here's the problem. This was a private ranch and it was contiguous to the largest state park in California. And that's Henry Coe State Park. Well, wouldn't it be nice if the little community of San Martin could have its own piece of the action and have that Harvey Bear annexed to Henry Coe State Park? Well, the owner wasn't really interested in this. So what do the county commissioners do? Well, we know that you're not going to develop this land, but because of all the land that is being developed in this area, you have a choice. You can allow everybody to use it. I enjoyed it. I didn't know this at the time and continue to run your cattle there, or you can keep your property to yourself, which as we described in the last show, is a human right. It is a human right. As Murray Rothbard said in his book, human rights and property rights are inextricable. They stand or fall together. You can either keep this land for yourself or we are going to tax you at a rate that would be for the land that could be subject to development, which is going to be significantly higher and something he couldn't afford to do. It was an offer he couldn't refuse. He was still allowed to graze his cattle on the land, 
but he did not have the right to exclude the public from his land. Exclusive, exclusivity of ownership for property owners is a human right. The government does not care. They will take what they want so they look like heroes. Look at all this open space. Look what was stolen from this man. Yeah, Jean, she's saying that she didn't know they did this. A friend of mine who owns uh, the grass farm, Aaron Gill, he's been on the show. We've, we've talked to him before about water in California. He's the one that told me that story. We're going to take a quick break for our friends at Anchor FM, and then we're going to start getting into the issue of property rights and animal ownership. We'll be right back. And your mind then left you behind I told you the tables would turn Now don't look to me for sympathy Cause baby that bridge has been burned Don't try to explain the dead and the pain Like always your words are just hollow Welcome back, everybody, to the Red Hot Chili Prepper podcast. Jeff Johnson and I are talking about property ownership, property rights. We've been talking about it with uh, regards to real estate, real property in the first segment. Now we're going to move on to animal ownership. I want to start with one of the most popular animals that is owned in the United States, and that is cats. And you primarily have cats. I think there are two two pretty much um schools of thought when it comes to cats. There are those that think cats are indoor pets only and should never be let out because they, well, they hunt birds and they hunt the wildlife. They can get hit by a car. They don't live as long, yada, yada, yada. Fair, fair arguments, all of them. Then there's another one where if you live out in a rural area and uh, you need cats, I live in the middle of wilderness and there are also hay fields all around me, lots and lots of mice. We have the Paiute ground squirrels. We have irrigation ditches at the top of our property where if their integrity is compromised, like the ground squirrels will do, I'll have my property flooded. Cats are a working, functional, and very, very needed member of our little community here. Andrew makes a great point. Cats don't have owners. They have staff. Before I met uh, Andrew and you, Jeff, the reason I got into the whole radio thing was for my travels around the country, this continental landmass, taking my boys on a tours of historic sites. And one of the things that I'd noticed too, with regards to, um, with regards to cats, gosh, I totally lost my train of thought. Oh, with regards to the cats was <laughs> people said, wow, as this trip goes, we were gone a month you're looking, you're just glowing. Yeah. You know why I'm getting sleep. I'm not playing doorman 
for Labradors and cats all night long. It was actually nice. So it can be somewhat inconvenient at times, but you know, my cats are used to coming inside. They were going to just be outdoor cats, but you know, what happens when this is no longer a choice of yours? What happens if you're no longer allowed to let your pets out? Well, where I live up here, there's really nobody that's going to be able to do anything about it other than maybe the coyotes or, you know, the eagles. So far, I've been very lucky in that regard. But what about if you're in the city? You know, you, they require, even where I live, they require cats to have licenses, dogs to have licenses. Why do you have to license something that you own? As I said on the last show, if you want to get away from these regulations, you're going to have to live where you can pretty much get away with doing what you want. Gene asked the question, did you know that the city of Gilroy, which was a real entity before the state and county existed, allows five adult dogs per home in city limits, but the county only allows two unless you are rural and have over five acres. So this is, again, I always prefer local leadership, if you have to have leadership, and I really hate that term. But if you're going to have local rule, you want it as small and localized as possible. But, you know, there's a saying you can't fight hit city hall. So good luck challenging it. But that's interesting. So I don't know how they're going to how they ever resolve that. And Gene, um, we're going to get to dogs in just a second. But I want to talk to people also about the issue of the term guardianship. And you see this primarily, OK, among the people that uh, have cats. I'm going to say this. Um, and then also with dogs for people that adopt them from the shelters. I'm seeing the use of the term guardianship many times, which implies something less than absolute ownership. If you are a mere guardian for a cat or dog, the state then by definition is going to grant itself the authority to check on said dogs or cats, even when you consider yourself and are properly called a, a dog or cat owner, reminding you of the situation in San Martin when I lived there, I was supposed to apply for a kennel license if I had three or more dogs, even if my dogs didn't use a kennel. I had one in my backyard in case I ever had to confine them if somebody was doing work on there, but they didn't live in the kennel. They lived in my home. They lived in the backyard when we were out there. But I was supposed to get permission from my neighbors. What if you have a neighbor who doesn't care for you or doesn't care for your dogs and says, no, I don't want them to have them. My property value has been diminished significantly because I can't do what I want to do there. Maybe I want to breed dog. Gene, you're, Gene, you're a, um, a dog breeder. Let us know the requirements that you have out there are. It gets very expensive. You have to have inspections because if I was going to have this kennel license, annual inspections, significantly higher fees, annual fees for the kennel license above and beyond what you're paying for the dogs. Some places require that you spay and neuter them within a certain amount of times. Well, within a certain amount of age of the dog or time after you get it. Here's the problem as we're seeing now, many of these giant breed dogs are being physically altered to comply with the local regulations before their bodies have had a chance to grow. We're seeing muscular skeletal systems that have not been able to fully develop and the dogs are suffering because of it. Let's move on to an issue of how do we get these laws in the first place? And we've discussed this, Jeff, where it goes from the necessary to 
the ridiculous. Let's start with the necessary. And as with all property rights and ordinances, we have competing interests. This is something I've talked about before. So we have the societal interest, which is clearly we as a society, speaking in the collective now, we're going to play that game, have an interest in making sure that animals are treated well and they're not abused. Fair enough, Jeff? Yes, I'm a, I'll agree with that. So we clearly do have an interest in seeing that animals are treated well and they're not subject to abuse. So the subject of abuse is, I think, where a lot of this gets started because it's legitimate. You're gaslighted into saying, well, you know, if you if you're opposed to this law, you support the behavior. I am opposed to bans on things like dogfighting. That doesn't mean I'm okay with dogfighting. Are there other ways than the government getting involved to do this? You know, I think we need to start as a society by just making sure that people know that we feel, that we feel this kind of behavior is repugnant and to eschew these people. Don't deal with them. Outcast them. Make them social outcasts. The problem is some people don't care if they are because they're going to have their own little community in doing this. I don't really have an answer. Uh, it's something I hate. I find repugnant. But we also see on a greater level, I want to see a federal law against dogfighting, against cockfighting, you know, and there's no federal authority for any of this. And the question then becomes, if this is a productive way to use your animals, there's a lot of cruelty that goes along with it. Who is to say that you should go to jail over doing this? Do I support the behavior? No, it's a really, you know, you have to ask these uncomfortable questions. Otherwise, you're never going to come up with an answer was, where do we draw the line? Because if you don't draw the line on certain animal restrictions, then you come up with regulations. Well, if it's the wintertime, your dog can only be out for 15 minutes. And they use the generic term dog. Well, you might have a chihuahua that can't be out there without its little sweater and booties for a few minutes. Or you can have a Malamute, you could have a Husky, you could have a Great Pyrenees, you can have a St. Bernard, you can have a breed that lives for the cold weather. And then you have the nanny state and your Karens in the neighborhood calling because they've seen that your dog has been out too long in the time of the year that your animal lives for. Jeff, didn't your dog like the snow? Yeah, Chief loved to be outside. You couldn't get him inside when the snow was on the ground. He was out. He would literally burrow himself into it and just lay in the snow. He loved it that much. It was just it was just his breed and he was a big dog and he enjoyed it. And I just let him do it. I mean he enjoyed it so he stayed out. Summers he didn't like so much. Yeah. And and then they would have no problem with your dog being out in the heat. So um because I think people are more comfortable as, as tendency as a cold as to prefer the warmer weather. But we see these dogs out in the cold and you think all of a sudden of these emotionally driven ASPCA, you know commercials, fundraisers, really, of trying to get you to send money while they let these animals sit there and suffer anyway. And Jean says, who decides what's best and who controls the guidelines? Jeff, well, going... It, it does, it's not you. It's, it's not, not the, you. It's not the, uh, the animal owner. And, and, you know, again, this is a bit political for this show. But in fact, the matter is, it comes down again, like we said last show, uh, property rights. Uh, you, do you own the animal or does the government own the animal? Obviously, you do not own your animals anymore. And, you know, when it comes to chickens or horses or whatever it is, it, they're important to the homestead. Chickens for feeding, 
you may ride your horses. You may even use your horse. I, I mean, there's people around here that have plows, and they use their horses to plow the to plow up ground for gardens and stuff. So it really comes down to the homestead is very important as to who owns the actual property of the animals. In New York, in the city, we've seen a lot of people, again, these people that adopt the cats and want to have them in their high-rise homes. Cats, when they're indoors, they like to claw things. And the city of New York had an ordinance now, I don't know if it's the city or the state of New York, that you could not declaw your cats. I personally would not do it because mine are indoor-outdoor cats who have the function here of keeping the rodents under control. I used to have mice running through my house until I got these cats. And I, as I, just as we were getting ready for the show, I saw my cat finishing the remains of one he just caught. We talked about the cobra effect, which is really uh, the law of unintended consequences. So the unintended consequence of this ordinance was that more cats were being euthanized because they weren't being adopted into homes. People want to adopt these cats. They're going to be indoor cats, but these are also people that don't want their furniture, carpets, or other things destroyed. And you can put all the scratch pads you want. A cat's going to scratch or a cat wants to scratch. I personally am opposed to declawing cats. It changes how they walk. It changes their, it changes the way their spine lines up when they walk. They get arthritis. It's not good for them. And our good little statist, Alan Mosley, we know he loves animals. Dean declawing cats is animal abuse and you should be lined up against the wall if you do. Now, Ann, Alan's kind of kidding. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I personally wouldn't declaw a cat, but would I rather see a cat declawed and living in a home in an indoor place or would I rather see it euthanized? Would I, would I want a law in effect that would find somebody or put them at risk to uh, being arrested or killed if they did not comply over a cat being declawed? No, I wouldn't. Similarly, with dogs, we have ordinances, people saying, well, they shouldn't have their dew claws removed. And if you're not aware of a dew claw, it's a little bit higher up on the leg, almost like a thumb. It's on the inside. And, and dogs, particularly the, the, those that hunt, they're used. They're helpful in grasping and hunting. Problem is, if you're using dogs for hunting and going through thick brush, they could be caught and also rip off and cause an injury to the animal when you're out in the field. And it might be difficult and very painful for the dog. So people that know that these uh, dew claws might be an issue choose to take them off. Often if the dogs are young enough, brand uh, new, you can do it yourself at home, the breeders that know how to do it. Is there a use for it? Is there a valid reason for it? Sometimes would I tell somebody they couldn't do it? Absolutely not. Hunting, some people, California, Gene, I think this is the case out in California. They banned uh, using dogs for hunting certain animals. I think it was for bears, mountain lions that can't hunt out there at all. They use them for hunting lions out here. Dogs are used for hunting pigs. Sometimes the dogs get injured. So who's to say you can't do that? PETA, being the humanitarians they were, I'll never forget the breeder that I got my Freddy from, two of my dogs from, told me they were at a dog show. I think it was in Fargo, North Dakota. This was spoken of quite a lot on some of these breeders lists. PETA showed up at a dog show, opened up all these cages of the dogs that were left unattended. Some were recovered. Some were never found again. Some were splattered all the way on the freeway. Nice work, PETA. Hey, Jeff, do we take a break for a musical sponsor yet, or is it time for that? It's time for a musical break. All right, everybody. We're going to take a quick break so you can uh, check out how to get the music from our sponsors, musical providers, Roxanne. We'll be right back. My baby loves the bank, she's well, what you hear. 
Music for this program has been brought to you by Roxanne, courtesy of Rat Pack Records. Radio Silence is the album and is available on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, RatPackRecordsAmerica.com, and RoxanneBand.com. everybody thank you for joining us today i'm suzanne sherman jeff johnson and i this is the red hot chili prepper podcast we're talking about property rights and animal ownership we've been talking about dogs and cats chickens as something you know you have to look at zoning ordinances we've talked about chickens in cities we know that they make a uh, lot of messes we know that they're very dirty i come across uh, people all the time that say, hey, we have to get rid of our chickens or we have to find a home for our rooster because they're noisy in the city. Now, Jeff, you and I have had this discussion before. You've said, if it's your property, you can do whatever you want. In our in our um, show last week, we said, the problem is when you live in an area that is heavily populated, well, there's going to be zoning ordinances with regards to being hooked up on the electrical grid. Please refer to our show episode 33 for that discussion and how you as a owner of property, you know, contiguous walls or right next door to each other, you have an interest in your safety uh, if they're doing their own electrical work. I mean, it gets really compelling and it gets really confusing as well. Where do you draw this line? So my answer has been, well, move out where you don't have neighbors if you can in any way do that one. Any comments that you want to share? Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to say that again, uh, I really didn't say it well last show, but my default is freedom and liberty. If you own that house, you should be free to use your property as you see fit. And again, it really comes down to if you infringe on someone else, that that, that at that point you have some redress through the court system because they have in some way damaged your property or... But it really comes down to freedom. If if you don't own your property, you have you have no rights. You don't have any uh, natural rights or anything else. So it, it really comes down to that. And really, the, this is where I kind of get the term the civic duty. You know, I really don't have a civic duty to anybody out here, which is really nice. But if you have a civic duty when you live in a very congested community, have a lot of neighborhoods. Um, you know, multiple family dwellings in one short area, condominiums, townhouses, apartments, so on and so forth. You know, you have to live in a parameter that respects the property rights of your neighbors. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that I agree with it, but I'm saying this is what it, this is what living in, in the community is like. So, you know, when I was in San Martin, you know, my neighbors had roosters. They crowed all night, drove me nuts. Did I ever tell them they couldn't have them? I closed my door. I would have preferred I've had my doors open at night, but you know, you have to make these accommodations. I have a rooster out here. He starts throwing his heart out at three o'clock in the morning. Fortunately, my bedroom's on the opposite side of the house where the coop is. But you know, let's talk about 
when I was looking for a home in California before we got our home in San Martin, there was a place in Morgan Hill. It was out in a very rural area. I'm sure the, the land next to it's been developed at the time. And I'm betting that that house isn't even there. But there was one property and the whole side of there had probably, I don't know, 50 single cages, each with one rooster in them. It was pretty obvious what these people were doing with them. These were for fighting. I mean, there wasn't a hen to be seen around there. There wasn't another chicken coop. And then just had these these roosters there. Did the county ever come and inspect and ask what they were doing? What are you doing with these roosters? Not to my knowledge, but should they have had the ability to do so? The roosters looked like they were in pretty good shape. At what point do you think an animal is worthy of intervention on your property and interference with your property rights? I don't know. It's just another it's just uh, another way of examining this personally. I am very much against using roosters for fighting each other as a sport. When I've had more than one, do they fight? Yeah, they sort it out. I kind of laugh. I'm amused, but I certainly don't use it to make money. Uh, but they do fight at times. So just something to think about. Let's talk also about livestock. Let's start with horses. Gene, I know you'll love this one. You know, there's some people out there that think that horses shouldn't be used for anything but to be lawn ornaments or just to be put out to pasture. Some people think it's very cruel to put a piece of metal in their mouths and take them out and sit on top of them and kick them with their feet, especially if your feet have these little metal objects on them called spurs. Or if you point a, you know, you hold a, a an aid like a crop or what they could refer to as a dressage whip. These are things that are used with the animals that if used properly are not cruel. But other people can see this, and this is the image. What right do you have to do with, you know, with the horse? I've seen pictures of friends of mine jumping. Oh, that's just too big a, a jump for such a horse when it's clearly the horse is not struggling at all. So are there going to be limits on how long you can exercise your horse each day? What you can do with your horse each day? Is there a limit to how high you can jump? your horse. We're just seeing more and more regulations when it comes to these animals. Those are kind of making a big stretch. But one thing that isn't a stretch is it's federal law. You're not allowed to euthanize your own horse. A veterinarian has to do it. I had a friend whose horse was on the ground in agony, soaking wet with sweat because it had colic. It could have taken a couple hours for a veterinarian to arrive and put this horse out of its misery. Fortunately, my friend was knew exactly what to do and ended the horse's suffering. My friend, my neighbor, cowboy out running cattle and his horse stepped in a badger den, broke its leg, snapped it right then. Could have been half a day before a veterinarian arrived. They put the horse out of the misery. You're not allowed to eat your horses. Well, a friend of mine had a filly that was born and uh, this this little horse had a deformed foot and it was never going to be able to be made right. The horse wasn't suffering, and for an, a normal amount of or a short amount of time, she could have a decent life without arthritis and other issues setting in. So she had a great short life getting fattened up with all the cattle. And when it came time for the butchering, there was a big plate of horse steaks on there, and that was the first to be eaten, and everybody liked it. Who's to say what you do with your animal? Jeff, you've seen that picture of that post, uh, that billboard. It says, where do you draw the line? And it starts with cattle and sheep and pigs and then goes to the more, you know, the animals that we kind of bond with a little bit more where you see then the rabbits and, uh, you know, the, the chickens, rabbits, 
dogs, cats? And my answer to that is, well, it depends on the circumstances. You know, ultimately you own these animals and what you do with them is up to you. Do I advocate eating your dog? No, I really don't. Do I advocate eating dogs for food? No, I really don't. But the truth of the matter is they're your dogs. They're your property. When this law, when I, I remember this being um, discussed once and somebody said, what I do with my horse is between me and my butcher and it's nobody else's business. So again, something to think about. Let's talk a little bit about cattle and sheep and meat sources. We're seeing, we see people now fighting about against having cattle on the open range. They're saying it's being detrimental to the grasslands. And we're also seeing with taxes and trying to pass down the family farms. We're not seeing as many family farms. We're seeing, and this started with the child labor laws, by the way, getting the kids off the family farms and into the government schools. And then when the kids try to take over the family farms, uh, the property inheritance taxes are so high, they have to sell the farms. So now we're seeing corporatized farming. I suggest you watch the movie uh, Food, Inc. if you haven't seen that yet. Jeff, we've also seen in the news cycle, Bill Gates is buying up all this ranch land and he'll probably be, he's, they're, they're talking about meat that's plant-based, meat that's made from the laboratories and getting people off. We're seeing about uh, greenhouse gases and cattle. So uh, this is another reason why I say support your local cattle ranchers buy locally. Gene is saying you can't make, yes, so true. You can't make a horse jump who really doesn't want to. The uneducated bleeding heart is dangerous. And that is so true. I mean, my horse lived to jump. I remember there was a, we did an exercise in one of our jumping classes one time where there was just one big jump. It was a triple bar fence down at the end of a very long arena where he'd have ample time to turn afterwards. But the, the object of the exercise was just chuck the reins and let your horse just gallop at this jump and take it any way he wanted to clear this jump. And I did that. And my horse, you can kind of see the heart just flying over his head. He was so happy that he just got to charge at this and leap over it the way he wanted to, rather than having me interfere. They love to jump. They love cross-country jumping, three-day eventing. Some people say that's really cruel. It shouldn't be allowed. These horses have to live for this. They have to love, love it at that level. You're not going to get a horse doing something it doesn't want to do. So. Yes, also, Soylent Green comes to mind. What's going to happen to these food sources? We're seeing shortages. So that's something as well. But these are, as I wanted to put out there for you, you know, nobody advocates having animals treated in a way that is not to their best interest and their happiness. But there comes a line where you have to say, my human right of property ownership is inviolate, and that is more important. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to wrap up the show. Pretending things will be okay. I wish I had the nerve to say I don't want to live this way. I don't want to live this way. You were gone, that you had moved on, but you're here on my caller ID. I'm not surprised your delusional mind thinks it might be all right to call me. What will it take to get through you?
All right, everybody. Final words from our friends over at Anchor FM. If you are listening on Anchor, please consider supporting the show. Put a lot of effort into this. We appreciate it. We've been talking about property rights, animal ownership, the whole issue of property rights we're just tying into because homesteaders really have to understand uh, these rights are under are under attack. We're seeing dogs and cats owners now a trend calling them guardians. When you're merely a guardian, hey, Jeff, if I don't really own my animal, can I just go to the state and have them pay the vet bills? You know, this is the problem. This is it's it's a, a way where they just say you're going to pay all the expenses of this animal. but We're going to tell you exactly how to work with them and how you're going to house them. We're going to tell you that we have zoning cords, uh, codes for dog houses. That's the issue where you live, right? They talked about doing that. I never really came through. And I actually was, I before the show, I looked to see if there was any more information on it. And I so I Googled it, and there was nothing new came up. Uh, again, it might have been this is some local thing, and it, uh, it just kind of died on the vine once people found out about it. They just, people were like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. You know, forget it. Well, and then, like I said, I've seen ordinances where your dog can only be out 15 minutes. What's going yeah. to happen next? You live in a high rise. Hey, we need an app. You have to be, you know, even if you, if it's a condition of adopting this dog or it can become a city ordinance. All dogs must be walked and it must show this on an app. I mean, the phones can trace you everywhere you go. Um, you know, also protect your animals. A very, very unfortunate incident happened out in Utah on one of our homesteaders group showed a picture. She had this breed of a deer called fallow deer and they're spotted. And these two does were extremely pregnant about to give birth any day. Somebody drove by and shot them in the neck and left the meat to just rot on the property. If you have animals, it is also incumbent upon you to protect your property. There is a police report out here from a rural area. We talked about in 2008 when we had the first crash of recent times, that's when all the thefts started happening in my neighborhood when I lived in California. Everybody had to get mailboxes that locked anything. If you left your garage open, kids' bikes, whatever they could grab was stolen right away. My house was for sale. Somebody backed a trailer or a truck out and tried to steal a trailer that was on my property. They went into my barn and stole a saddle that I had in there. They are on the move, folks. Times are getting worse. We have inflation. Just out here in Utah, um, they had a, a gentleman had, what was it, Jeff? I was telling you, a, a Honda generator, a an air compressor, a ladder, guns, and roosters stolen from the property. Chickens are hard to get. Chicken meat is getting hard to get. I've shared the story. There's a gal out here not far from me who had an honor box so people can go and buy eggs from her hens, grab a carton, leave the money. She came home one day. Somebody took all her hens all gone and it's getting difficult to buy them. So that's something to think about. You have to protect your animals. My horse in Gilroy, the place where I kept them, they had some they had some paddocks, little mini pastures that were adjacent to the main street going through there. And I said, I would never put my horse out there because it's vulnerable to whatever cruelty some sick member of the community might want to do. And here's what we saw happen to this woman. Her animals were shot. I had mine on the other side of a lock gate way away from the main part of the street. Start thinking about protecting your animals. They're getting stolen. Items of value are getting stolen. Generators, very, very valuable. All these tools that you can have in your garage are going to be very valuable in the event of a collapse. And they're just valuable if you're on a homestead. 
So don't take those uh, don't take those things for granted. Don't take your security for granted. Certainly don't take your rights for granted. I want to thank everybody for listening. Well, this has been the Red Hot Show. I, Go ahead. Oh, don't you end it so quickly. You didn't oh, give okay. a chance to get my last word in here. Uh, again, here we talk, we're talking about guns being stolen. And I'm not talking about safes because government requires them. But if you own firearms, you should have a gun safe. You should be able to secure them, lock them up so that they aren't readily available to be stolen. Make it very difficult. If they can get that gun safe out, uh, good luck to them. I mean, it's going to take an army of people to get it out of the house. So, yeah, and then it's going to take a bunch of time to open it. So, you know, if you're going to have firearms around, and, and I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm I mean, Actually, I'm saying you probably should. But at this point, you're probably not going to find any ammunition for them if you have them. Lock them up. Don't keep them out. This this person who had a gun stolen probably did not have them in a safe. And it, it, it was just an easy thing to carry them out the door and they were gone. So, again, like Suzanne said, start protecting what you have. Protect your animals. Protect your the, your property inside your house. It's up to you. No one else is going to do it for you. Uh, the police certainly aren't going to protect your property. So, if they're not, you better be. So. That's all. That's my final word on this. Now you can end the show if you like, because I had my final say. Thank you. And I certainly did not mean to cut you off. I just thought maybe you and Andrew were texting each other again and you'd already checked out. No, I, you can <laughs> no, see that. I haven't that. texted in a while. Okay. I've been, I've been being good. <laughs> you've been being discreet. That's what you're doing. <laughs> all right, Jeff, thank you for all you do to make this show possible. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you for all your support. Thank you for everybody that's bought the Lost Frontier Handbook, sending me pictures of, uh, of yourselves with the book. I really appreciate that. We'll be sharing those as well. Uh, we'll be back. This has been the Red Hot Chili Prepper Podcast. Thank you for listening. 